You're listening to a Big MX Radio Podcast. Brought to you by Arma Energy. Presented by Fly Racing, W Wheels, Bill's Pipes, Just One Helmets, X-Brand Goggles, Shades of Grey Custom Helmet Painting, Rhino Power Sports Supplements, Roy Borton Suspension, Watts Perfections, and Golden Tire. Simply the best motocross and supercross news from around the globe. And now, here's your host, Brad Gephardt. Welcome to the Arma Energy Drink Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by Fly Racing, X-Brand Goggles, Just One Helmets, and Bill's Pipes. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we have a very special guest goes by the name of Eric Big E Bartoldis. Big E, how's it going? I'm doing great. Sunny Southern California, just soaking up the sun. <laughs> you know what? It's sunny up here in Winnipeg, Manitoba as well, but uh, the temperature is dropping uh, somewhere in the uh, the low zeros for you. Uh, so uh, it's much colder, still the same sun, but uh, and also it's also 2016, the very first Big MX podcast of 2016, and I couldn't be happier to have you on. Yeah, well, I'm super stoked to talk to uh, Big MX Radio, and, and thanks for having me on, Brad. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. It's it's always a pleasure when a, a couple of guys that uh, talk for a living uh, get together on a phone because uh, uh, it's it, we're going to make some radio gold here, and I'm really excited to talk to you about uh, all things two wheels, including your current position over at uh, Yoshimura. Uh, what is it that you do over there, uh, and how do you contribute to uh, making sure that that exhaust system gets into as many hands as possible? Yeah, well, I'm, uh, my title is the uh, Corporate Communications Manager. Um, that okay. sounds like a, a vague thing, but basically, uh, I'm kind of the, the voice uh, that goes out from uh, Yoshimura to whether it's the, the trade public or the um, or just the world in general. Um, and and I kind of I, I do a lot of sales and marketing uh, um, things as well. So I got my hands on a lot of different things, and um, I'm just stoked to be at Yoshimura. It's a great company. Um, a lot of people don't know we we you know we manufacture everything. Um, from raw materials there in uh, Chino, California, we have 130 employees, and it's a it's a really great company to be a part of. Absolutely, and of course, being located in Southern California, you are right down in the uh, the heartbeat, the mecca of uh, of motorsports, motocross specifically. Uh, something that you're very passionate about. Um, aside from uh, from exhaust systems, what all does uh, Yoshimira have their hands in, and uh, does does your job um, basically uh, limit yourself only to the motocross side, or are you uh, um, pumping up the, uh, the the street bike uh, exhaust systems and and everything that goes along with that as well? Yeah, that's, actually, it's a good question. It's one of the things I've had to learn a, uh, more about because I didn't really, uh, I wasn't steeped on the street side of things. But um, I'm I'm getting more and more, um, I guess, savvy with with that. Um, the the race teams uh, what, that Yoshimura is a part of, they have their own separate PR agencies. And so on the dirt side, um, you know, they have their own PR people that, that let pre- that um, do press releases and the same thing on the street side. So I don't touch any of that. Basically, um, the racing side of Yoshimura is a separate entity. And um, basically what I do is on the R&D side is um, um, basically work with sales and marketing and, and, um, and our distributors both here in the U.S. and, and abroad 
to uh, make sure that they're up to speed on on what what we're making, what we're not making anymore, their current our current SKU numbers, photography, all that stuff. So um, it's it's a it's a fun a fun uh, job to juggle. That's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, and speaking of something that you're passionate about is always a lot easier than uh, selling something that you're, you know, you know, don't know too much about. I'm sure as far as uh, the, the products go, you're, you're much more at home with the motocross stuff, but it is fun to learn the, uh, the, the road side of things as well. I'm sure. It is. It is. It's a, it's a different animal when you've got um, emissions compliance to deal with um, some noise restrictions. There's a lot of things that go on the street side that, a lot of people don't think about, um, especially here in California. Um, there are a lot of a lot more restrictions there are on the other 49 states, and obviously um, you're probably well aware of that in Canada as well. So um, the street side is definitely a different a different uh, thing to tackle. But on the performance side, you know Yoshimura has been making uh, quality exhaust systems for over 60 years, and um, they're well adapted to um, you know making making performance out of uh, out of Japanese and other other manufacturers' machines. Absolutely. Now, uh, as you know, as motocross uh, community, we are a uh, fickle bunch of tropical fish, and uh, that can become difficult to to market to because there's so many different um, like sub. Uh, demographics and psychographics to to tap into how do you uh bring the features and benefits of yoshimura to the buying public to basically um uh raise awareness and uh and get that message so that it's consistent across the board and that you're speaking the language to uh to all those who uh race and ride well um i guess i'll start out with you know we use obviously social media to, to the maximum ability we can i think um, we don't have a, a totally dedicated person to doing that because that person in our office is doing other things as well. But, um, you know, I think we, um, Yoshimura, how we, I guess, stand out from maybe some other people is I think that, you know, we're not uh, a cheap alternative. That's for sure. We are a um, uh, probably a premium, I would say, uh, exhaust company. Um, we do manufacture, I think it was one of your questions earlier, we do manufacture a, a, quite a bit of, uh, of hard parts as well, like, you know, case savers, axle blocks, those kind of NC bits. Um, but um, I would say that Yoshimura is definitely a premium exhaust manufacturer. And we, one of the things we pride ourselves in is the uh, the quality, the fitment. You know, when you take a, a Yoshimura exhaust out of the box, that thing's going to bolt on your bike, whether it's a, a four, four into one street bike or it's a YZ450. Um, you know, you, you can bolt that thing on with confidence that you can, you'll be able to race that thing and have the, the most performance coming out of that exhaust. One, you know, one of the things that, um, that a lot of people get, I guess, aren't excited about sometimes is that Yoshimura might not be the first, uh, to market on some, some exhaust systems, but you know, that's because we, uh, take a long time to pull a bike in the, into the shop, do, do very extensive R and D playing with different size header pipes and bends and, and when that um, exhaust system leaves our shop, um, it's guaranteed to not. Well, no, I shouldn't say guaranteed, but we're not going to make an exhaust system that doesn't enhance the performance of a motorcycle. Period. Whether it's street, dirt, whatever it is, ATV, UTV, um, we're going to make something that um, adds performance to that motorcycle, and and hopefully uh, aesthetics as well. You know, so um, I think we make a, a, a quality system and. And then one of the other things I'd like to mention too is that um, what a lot of people don't realize that 
because we manufacture everything uh, in Chino, California, and we build everything there, we, we refurbish a lot of our systems. We have a refurbishment uh, program where somebody can send their exhaust system in if, you know, if they have a, you know, a Z1000 or whatever, and they lay their bike down and they scratch their can or they put a hole in it, they could send that system back to Yoshimura and we can refurbish that rather than them going and buying a whole new system. And the same thing on the MX side, you know, we can repack, we can, you know, if somebody, you know, wads their system up or something, if we can um, repair that thing, a lot of times we can repair it. It's not a, it's not a big uh, expense to um, go and buy a whole new exhaust system to where, you know, um, maybe some of the other brands are like, I just throw it away. But for us, you know, we, we try to put, put so much quality in that exhaust system um, that we can refurbish them and repack and, 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 and a fraction of the cost of buying a new one. And it's exciting to hear, you know, a lot of the consumers, when they get their stuff back for the first time, they're like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> it comes back with new badging on it. It's polished. And uh, they're like, and a lot of times they'll send their header in because now, you know, the the front part of their exhaust system's not matching their their back part. So it's kind of a it's kind of a fun process to see um, the consumer get their get their exhaust system back and 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 they're like, it looks like it is a brand new system almost, you know. So that's awesome. And like uh, coming from uh, some of a retail background as well as having some experience in outside sales, um, it's it's always excellent to uh, see your your clients, your customers come in and uh, leave happy with what they're doing and uh, with what they're going to leave with. And especially yourself and myself uh, being very passionate about the sport of motocross, when people are able to uh, really connect and, and, and leave with something that they're happy with, you're happy with, they're stoked, you're stoked. And uh, uh, it, it all keeps this uh, big machine running. It does. And, you know, like that's one of the things that, that since I've been at Yoshimura for uh, almost three years now is that we, um, a customer satisfaction is like our main goal. You know, like when a guy has a system, we want to be happy when he pulls it out of the box. Obviously, he's pulling it on, right? But like a year down the road, if he crashes or the thing needs repacking or something happens to the system, we want him to know that we're there for him. You know, we, we're... We, you know, we want that customer to be satisfied a year, two years, three years down the road with what they bought, not just when they pull it out of the box. Absolutely, and uh, keeping people coming back year after year after year is uh, is not an easy thing, but it's an important thing. What is the your biggest challenge as as a, a marketing director and a a, um, a representative of that co- of a company, or especially your your Shamira? I say I think our biggest challenge is uh, people not knowing um, maybe a little bit of what we do. You know, a lot of people, the biggest misconception is that our product is made in Japan, and um, that obviously all of our all of our off road exhausts are made here. All of our street exhausts are made here. We do import some some product from Japan. We have a sister company in Japan that's a, a lot smaller than ours, but um, but we are the I'd say the eight hundred pound gorilla as far as Yoshimura is concerned. And I think the biggest misconception, the thing that I'd like to try to get across to, to the majority of people is that we're manufactured in the USA and um, right here in Southern California. And again, just going back to that customer experience, that satisfaction, it's like that's what our main goal is, to let people know that we are here to um, not only provide them with a good quality exhaust system, but we're here for service and dependability as well. So. I think that's that's probably the biggest thing that 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 our hurdle is people not understanding why we are uh, the more expensive alternative 
And I think those two reasons are why we are a little bit more expensive is because obviously our, I think our stuff is, is built um, to a quality that, that, that demands uh, a higher price tag. And then uh, the, the, um, the customer satisfaction end of it as well. So, so to, to wrap up in a pretty bow, what would be the, uh, the, the top, Top three reasons why someone would go with Yoshimura over any other exhaust system uh, on the market. Um, I'd say uh, dependability. I think one. Uh, number two, uh, performance. Um, number three, um, customer satisfaction, and number four, um, the um, peace of mind knowing that they have uh, an exhaust system they've, they've you know invested a lot of money in. And uh, that's going to give them years of, of great service. Beautiful. So let, let's turn the clocks back. Let's go back to uh, uh, a young man who um, ha- hadn't even experienced motocross just yet. Was 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 dealing with a uh, machine uh, without an engine. Let's go back to the eleven year old uh, Big E who uh, had started his uh, his career in uh, in BMX. What were those first days like? Uh, who got you into it? Uh, and uh, and what was it like growing up and uh, and competing as a as a BMX specialist? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you a little bit further Perfect. back because my first experience um, that I can remember that just brings a smile to my face is on two wheels. Is when my dad came home with the MR50 for me, a CR125 for my brother, and he bought a CR250. This was in 1974. Nice. And uh, and we just went out riding in the trails, and it was one of those like it was totally on any Sunday for for my family, you know. And we would go out riding the trails, and uh, I grew up in New York, and um, I moved to Florida. Um, it was right around 1977, I think. And um, about a year or two after that, my mom and dad got divorced. And I always wanted to race motocross. That was my, I was like, man, I just, I always like, I'd open up a magazine. I'd see Tony D or whoever on, on the cover of a magazine. It'd just be, just, I love dirt, dirt bikes, you know? Um, so my mom and dad got divorced and um, it just, racing motocross wasn't in the cart. So I got into BMX. And I started racing BMX when I was um, about 11 years old. And uh, that was in Florida, obviously. And uh, it was, the so I, I would say, probably, and I, your listeners might disagree, but man, I'll tell you, BMX racing and growing up in the 80s and learning how to uh, be a competitor and learning how to travel by myself. I mean, I, like, I would, one of the experiences that just so rich in my mind is, um, you know, I, I, one of my first, my first car was a gigantic station wagon and, um, I paid 200 bucks for it at a car auction. And, um, I wanted to go to the Murray world cup in Nashville and I didn't have anybody to take me. And I'm like, I'm mom, I'm going to, I'm going to Nashville. She's like, okay. <laughs> so I drove this car that shouldn't have made it out of the County all the way back and forth to Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm 16 years old and I'm thinking about like my daughter now, she's almost 15. I'm like, there's no way I would even let my, I have had a son to let him drive out of the state and go ahead. You know, the car uses oil, you know, but, uh, but those are the, some of, some of the fun experiences I think that, you know, um, nowadays that kids don't get to experience like taking those chances. And I mean, they wouldn't have cell phones back no. then. So if my car broke down, I'd be like, whatever i can i use your phone i need to call my mom or whatever you know absolutely but uh but yeah growing up racing bmx was such a an awesome experience and and um it just it it taught me how to um 
to relate to people, to read people, and to uh, experience, obviously, I think some of the best times of my life to where I was um, growing up racing BMX was, um, I mean, it was just, it just taught me how to be a, a, a the human being I am right now. So I'm really thankful of the sport for that. Um, so obviously as a young guy, uh, you've always, you're always looking up to the, the, the top racers, the, the adults, the, the guys around you, who are some of the best influences and, and who are some of the, uh, not so great influences on you at a young age, because of course at that age, you're very impressionable and, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fast time of your life. So, uh, what was going on? Who are some of those characters that really influenced you? Oh man, when I was growing up, I used to, I looked up to Greg Hill. Um, Stu Thompson, um, Perry Kramer, just the, 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 the sports best pros back then. I mean, um, passed out a little bit. Ronnie Anderson was one of the guys that was just, just out there and, and doing his own thing, but was able to, um, uh, rise to the top of the sport in, uh, in the mid eighties. Um, Richie Anderson, there are so many guys that, that I, it's so funny. I would, I would look up to them in the magazines. Um, and then, you know, as time goes on, like I'm friends with a lot of these guys now, like Stu Thompson, Greg Hill. Right. Um, I, I'm like, I'm friends with these guys. Like I ride mountain bikes with them. I had like, um, one of my, one of the really cool experiences I had about two years ago is I was able to go mountain bike riding with Stu Thompson, Perry Kramer, um, and Eddie King as before Eddie King, if any of you guys know, he got, um, he was, a he had a, an injury and actually injured his uh, spine and is um, having um, he's going through therapy to be able to walk again. But um, I was able to ride mountain bikes with three of these icon, unbelievable pros of the eighties. And I'm like, I'm pinching myself and it was crazy, man. I'm like, I'm like, Hey guys, I don't mean to sound like a geek here. And, and we were hanging out and just talking, but I'm riding. I'm like, Hey, I don't mean to sound like a geek here, but you, I looked up to you guys so much. And, and um, it's so cool to be able to ride with you. And they're like, Oh, that's cool. Like they didn't even care. No. You know? Cool man, so it was, glad uh, you're enjoying it. it was, yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's let's concentrate on riding here. Yeah, <laughs> you know? wow. So it was it, it was uh, it was it was a highlight for me. And then shortly after that, Eddie King uh, had an injury. So, but man, I'll tell you, it was um, it's it's cool to be able to uh, to to talk to those guys and and just relate to them on a on a human being level rather than some unobtainable superstar in the magazines, you know. Absolutely, and isn't it so funny how uh, we put these guys up on a pedestal, and rightfully so, because they do incredible things, but once you get to know many of these top athletes, you, you come to find out that uh, they're they're not so different from your just regular human being. They have uh, thoughts, feelings, some of them are nerdy, some of them are uh, not so nerdy, some of them are really nice guys, some of them are very quiet. In fact, a lot of the top athletes that I've met are some of the shyest people I've ever met. Do you echo those same sentiments? Yeah, I, I definitely. Some of the guys are definitely shy because they're, they're, you know, they're they're used to being in front of a big crowd. But then, you know, you get them on one on one, and they're they're kind of lost, you know, because they're not used to doing that. But um, the only thing I'd say is I think that um, to make a an athlete um, stand out, I think they do have maybe some different qualities than that than the average guys. You know, like they see things differently. You know, like I. When I was running the Powerlight BMX team, uh, I had a guy on the team named Mario Soto that I just saw so much potential in. And man, I'll tell you, this guy, he would just make these moves and turns and pass three, four people at a time. And I'd be like, how, how did, how did you even see that? I mean, it's a split second decision to be able to, 
to make those moves, you know, to do something like that, yeah. especially in BMX racing when the race is over in 46 seconds or whatever, you know? Um, and he would just say, man, I just, everything goes in slow motion. When I'm, when I'm out there on the track and I'm moving, I see things in slow motion and, and I just thread needles, you know, and you listen to F1 racers and, and some of the other guys that talk and they say the same thing. It's crazy. Like their mind moves in a different, um, element so they can, they can process things differently, you know? So that would be the only thing I'd say to that, uh, Brad, is that I think that some of these guys have, uh, a gift that just, they're able to, to see things and, and do things that maybe us guys that weren't so great racing or whatever, um, can't do, you know, and that's why they excel at what they do. hundred percent. I totally agree. And, uh, it's, it's incredible. Even, even for, uh, like, like the, the, at an amateur level of motocross, you see the things that you're able to do on the track where, uh, in the matter of just a few seconds, you're, you're, you're assessing the, the depth of a corner, uh, where you can pass somebody and, and you can make things click. And of course the, the guys who make it look super easy, those are the guys we watch on Saturday night. And, um, that, that, that is really what drives this sport. Yeah, absolutely. So, as far as BMX goes, when was the when did the things start to click for you? You said you had started to uh, go to Nashville and stuff like that. Uh, what was the progression like for you, and uh, what was the scene like in in BMX? Because as we know, uh, throughout the eighties and early nineties, BMX uh, was absolutely reign supreme as far as uh, extreme sports goes. Yeah, um, shoot, I would say. You know, I think the maybe some of the hardest times for me were um, in probably the early 80s when I was going through high school. Um, you know, I would, people would be going to dances and proms and all this stuff, and I'd be going to BMX race. But I don't care about no dance. I'm going to a national, you know. Um, so that was probably the, the hardest time for me. But um, um, coming up, you know, I wasn't – all through my BMX racing, I guess whatever you want to call it, career or um, – my hobby or whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I wasn't the greatest guy, you know, like I was a mid pack guy, you know, um, I won some B pro races or some A pro as they call them now. Wasn't a double a, when I, when I turned double a, I made some means, but I didn't, um, I didn't, um, I wasn't one of those guys that excelled, you know? Yeah. But I, uh, I was, I was in the mix and I hung out with the right guys and I learned from the right guys. And I was a really good, um, I guess you can call it teaching pro. And so we went around the country probably from, I would say, 1985 to 1990. Maybe a little bit after that, I went around with doing BMX tours with my friends and, and teaching BMX clinics and how to ride faster and, and just do all the nutrition stuff to be, become a better BMX racer. So um, that was a fun time in my life. And then um, uh, a good friend of mine, Todd Huffman, which uh, produces a, that show called The MX Files. Yep. He actually uh, was the, the marketing director at GT Bicycles, and he actually gave me a call, and he's like, hey, man, we need you to come to work over here. And I, I was, that was in 1989, and I came over there, and I worked from GT uh, for GT from 1989 to 19, excuse me, 2001, when the company went bankrupt and went kaput and, and, and changed hands and, and went through a massive transformation of what it was from Gary Turner's garage in the 70s to what it is now, so... Those, you know, those times in the, in, in the eighties when I was racing was really fun for me. And, and then, uh, working for a company like GT bicycles, which really cut my teeth as far as, um, marketing and learning sports marketing and how to do it. Um, doing contracts, all that kind of thing. I, I, you know, GT really, um, 
really helped me as far as my professional career. And we're going to talk a little bit more about your transition from uh, the racetrack to uh, the promotional side of things and marketing right after these messages from Bill's Pipes and W Wheels. Cowboy Kenny Bartram here. You're listening to the Big MX Radio Show. We're going to commercial, but don't go away. We'll be right back. If there's one item to be picky about, it's choosing the right helmet. I'm Andrew Short, and I choose the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. You too can wear the exact same helmet I wear, Trey Kennard wears, Jimmy Albertson wears, and many others. The F2 Carbon is a helmet loaded with details that make a huge difference in comfort and safety. Lightweight materials, phenomenal airflow, and a super comfortable sweat-absorbing liner and generous eye port design to accommodate any goggle choice are just a few. And did I mention how super trick these helmets look? Straight off the shelf and onto the racetrack. If you are looking for one amazing helmet, look no further than the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. For more information about Fly Helmets and other products from Fly Racing, visit them on the web at flyracing.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey kids, start out every morning with a fat ball. When it comes to helmets, there is just one. The helmet brand, that is. Just One Helmets is tailor-made for motocross and street bike riding, and now available in North America. Who chooses Just One? Well, for starters, Tim Geiser, winner of the Italian round in MX2, David Philipparts, Vicky Golden, Trevor Reese, as well as David Pulley. And you know what? So do I. I choose Just One Helmets because they are simply the safest, lightest, and most comfortable lid available. Want to know more about Just One Helmets? Check them out on the web at www.justonehelmets.com. Find out about the J12, the J32, and all of the colorways that are absolutely blow your socks off. So guys, please head over to www.justonehelmets.com today. Go check them out. You won't be disappointed. Two thousand and fourteen X Brand Goggles is back and better than ever. From the Scatter X, Volcano, and Phantom Goggle, X Brand has the product to make you stand out on race day. The quality of X Brand products is second to none. Great lenses, incredible frame, and a strap that doesn't wear out. Great tear-offs, zip-off systems, nose guard, and more. Check out eksbrand.com for all of the accessories and pricing. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. 
hit up WUSA.com. That's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims, pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website, you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, Talon and Kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys we're building wheels for. Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, if they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to dubyausa.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. What's up guys? It's time to talk a little bit about Roy Borden Race. He's the performance specialist. Suspension, making a motor work, balancing a bike, or just maintenance. He's got the tools and know-how to make sure that your bike is ready on race day or practice. Roy Borden has strength in years of experience and the best technology and best tools at his disposal. Whether you're getting your forks redone, seals, or a full, full-blown rebuild on your forks or, or shock. Call up Roy Borton today at 204-633-2722. Bill's Pipes, the home of legendary performance. Since 1974, Bill's Pipes has been providing motocross and off-road riders the performance they need. Two-stroke or four-stroke, Bill's Pipes has the exhaust system for you. In recent years, we've seen a resurgence of the Bill's Pipes brand, and that's great news. And that's great news for motocross racers everywhere. For four-strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE13 to dominate the fight on any brand. For you two-stroke guys, the MX2 Bill's Pipes exhaust system is the right one for the job and comes in works, nickel, and the all-new cone look finish that'll turn heads all day long. Head to BillsPipes.com right now and get the same pipe used by Billy Lidinovich, Vicky Golden, the JMR Suzuki team, Jesse Pierce, Nico Izzy, and David Cole. Bill's Pipes is craftsmanship at its finest. So go with Bill's Pipes and never settle. And we're back, Big MX Radio Podcast Show, still on the line with Big E. Uh, Big E, it's it's one of those things where I I gotta ask how uh, a man who uh, is is born and bred on the racetrack, born a racer, has a obviously has a gift to the gab, but how do you make that tradition tr- transition from uh, from racer and uh, weekend warrior and professional to um, basically talking for a living and uh, and conveying that message that a product is the product for whoever uh, you're, you're selling it to. Um, well, I think I, I think Brad, you said it um, earlier in the, in the podcast, I think that it's a passion, you know, it, and when you, um, when you love to, to, to do something, you love to talk about it. I mean, that, that's the way it is for me. Yes. And so when, for me, when I, um, when I saw that my, my racing boots were, were done, so to speak, I, um, I just love to talk about racing and, and products and, 
and again, just going back to GT, you know, like I learned so much about how things were made um, from steel and welding and, and manufacturing from a manufacturing perspective that that gave me a big up on a lot of people to where they, if they just knew about racing, they didn't know about how things are made. So I love to talk about how things are made and, and, and the process of how we're doing that. And, you know, I think coming back, um, you know, where we are now and in, in, in times, it's like stuff isn't even made in the United States or in North America anymore. It's like shipped off. It's, and um, to make stuff, going back to where I'm working now in, in Yoshimura, it's like to walk through a facility that has um, 130 employees manufacturing exhaust systems and and looking at all the raw materials and all that stuff. It's like, especially in California, where it's like they don't even, it seems like they don't even want businesses here anymore. It's so cool to be a part of a company that manufactures in the United States. Like, um, anyway, it's it's just a, it's just a, I just love talking about it because it's a, I think it's a unique animal. I think, you know, where I'm at now, um, it's a, it's a place that um, just there's passion in the building to, to make a quality product and something that's um, a level above other people are making. And, and um, I, I, I just, I could talk about it all day, you know? Absolutely. Now, like uh, I'm sure you carried that same passion with you in your earliest days at, at uh, GT. Um, what were some of the, uh, the, the hurdles that you overcame there as far as bringing that product to market and uh, developing different uh, marketing tactics and, and schemes to, uh, to bring those products to the forefront? Um, I think one of the challenging things that for me at GT was, um, in 1994, I, uh, I was asked to become the Powerlight team manager and Powerlight was another brand within GT. Right. They had acquired Powerlight a couple of years earlier, um, from a, from the guy that started the company and they, they just wanted the, the Powerlight brand to become a stronger brand. So I became the, the team manager um, in 1994 for Powerlight, and then um, just worked my way into to, um, being the the brand manager for the brand, and not only the team manager, but um, so I think the biggest challenge for me at GT was um, taking Powerlight and trying to make it the best brand it could be within this gigantic gorilla called GT. So we were this redheaded stepchild, so to speak. Um, within this giant organization called GT Bicycles, which had mountain bike teams flying all over the world, racing, you know, mountain bikes and downhill. And we had a U.S. Olympic team um, riding GT Bicycles and um, the the best BMX team in the world, you know. So to, like, try to excel with the Powerlight brand was a, was a, was probably the biggest hurdle. But um, it was cool because there, there was a lot of times, I, I, I think you talk to anybody that, that raced for Powerlight in those years, they were like, Man, we would have rather been on Powerlight than on GT any day, just because the the camaraderie, the way we ran as a team, and um, and we made some really unique products. We came out with a, a bike called the Cockpit mm-hmm. in 1998, and uh, it was a bike that really um, took the monocoque design, so to speak, um, with uh, with hydroforming products, and and uh, and did it in a very uh, manufacturable, if that's a word, way, to where um, the bike was easy to manufacture, but it functioned really well. So, um, and I think it kind of won up GT uh, at the time. So it was kind of like, we kind of like got our little notches in the belt. And, um, there was a, again, it was such a fun time for me to be able to mentor kids, fly over all over the United States and race BMX. And, and, uh, we won two national championships with Firelight. So it was, it was an awesome, awesome time. 
Absolutely. And throughout this, you must have seen a lot of these young uh, BMX riders that would, uh, at their earliest days, um, coming up through the ranks who uh, would later go on to to take championships and uh, and really shape the way the sport would progress. I did. And uh, there are so many kids that were locked into the Power Life brand and and the race team that, um, I mean, I could go on for four hours and talk about each one of them, but I think the biggest, um, the two biggest ones in my mind were um, Donnie Robinson, which Donnie was, uh, when he came on the team, he was 11 years old and he raced, raced for Powerlight all the way up until the, the last days in 2001. And um, he went on to be um, the, the first, uh, he went to the Olympics in Beijing in 2008 and was the, um, the bronze medalist. So that was a highlight for me to see that, like for a guy that I helped coach and mentor all the way up to, to go into the Olympics in Beijing in, in the first when BMX was first going to be there and and to see him get third place it was just I was just it was amazing. Um, the other guy that was uh, I talked about him a little bit earlier was Mario Soto and he was a a kid that came from Colombia that just had a dream of racing BMX and he came here and got an apartment in Miami and and raced for a small bike shop team at the time and then I just saw so much drive and potential in him and he um, was just I mean, he was destined to be one of the best pros the sport's ever seen, for sure. And I don't think anybody um, would would disagree with that. But uh, um, when he uh, he actually died an untimely death um, in 2000, I think it was in January of 2000. Yeah, it was. So I get 2000 and 2001 mixed up sometimes. But wow. um, at the time, he was a world champion, UCI world champion, um, and uh, and he was leading uh, ABA and NBL actually not ABA, but NBL points at the time. And uh, he was just on top of his game and he went home to Columbia at Christmas time and got on a motorcycle, a street bike of all things, and just um, was going too fast. And he, uh, he was killed in a motorcycle accident. And uh, he was just, just one of those kids that was just like, when you watched him ride, he was one with a, with a bicycle. And it was, and everybody, including his peers, was just like, there's nobody that can ride a bike like him, you know? Um, yeah. So those are the two, I guess, two highlight pieces for me. And as far as the power light team or you mentoring kids, um, just growing up and just seeing, seeing them, the, the fruit, um, um, come from Donnie's life. And then, um, the, you know, the tragic, um, way that the Mario died, it was just, he just went out on top as far as I'm concerned. And, um, um, it was, it was, a the highlight of my life to be able to mentor, and coach some of these guys, you know? Absolutely. Now, how, how did you get the uh, quote-unquote job of uh, the Redheads, managing the Redhead stepchild? Like, uh, that's that's <laughs> that's no small task. Like, obviously, uh, it's, it's probably, um, to, to get the job, you probably weren't super excited about it because this is something that's not a, not a glamorous position, but it's an important position because um, you're doing a job that uh, is very specific and, and not and not just anyone can do it, and it's, it's a tough gig to do. Uh, why did they have the, uh, the the confidence you to uh, to take that on. You know, I think uh, my boss Todd Alfman at the time um, and Richard Long, the, the president of GT Bicycles, they saw that I had a, a level of responsibility that um, that I could take that on. And I think that you know, um, running uh, running a race team that wasn't the high profile profile uh, team at the time was uh, was something that probably not a lot of people could have done. And um, and they saw some qualities in me that, that they said, Hey, you know what? 
I think Big E can take this thing and run with it. And that's what I did from day one, you know, whether it was um, working with the race team or working with the, the products that we came out with at the time. Um, it was a, it was, it was a unique time for me. And I think that, um, the people that, that were my supervisors, Todd and, and Richard Long were, uh, you know, they saw something in me that worked and, and I'm thankful for that for sure. So, um, what would follow uh, GT bikes is obviously you took it to a, a very extremely high level. Um, the, but in the end, the, the company ended up coming to the ground, and uh, that leaves a lot of uh, marketing people uh, out of a job. Um, what, what was your next move? And uh, obviously, uh, give us a little bit of an, a synopsis of uh, what you were feeling as that company uh, was to go no longer. Well, I was crazy because I was there like 12, 13 years, whatever it was, and I was like, oh, you know, the, the company was um, – in 1998, they merged with Swin. Swin bought GT bicycles, and um, we and then then it was funny because GT was the redhead stepchild. Because Swin was the big the big 800 uh, pound gorilla. Um, Swin actually ran the company. They didn't. The people in Colorado weren't doing a lot of the right things for GT. They were doing a lot of the right things for Swin, but not GT. And ultimately, in, in 2001, that both of the company, well, the company Swin GT was in bankruptcy. And it was ironic because on September, like it was in bankruptcy court in Colorado on September 11th, 2001. Wow. And they had to clear the courtroom out because of all the stuff that was happening in New York and what was going on. And we were supposed to know who's going to own the company then. And um, it came out two weeks later that um, a company called Pacific, a Chinese company, I think, or I don't even know. It was like a, it's like a mass produced company bought the company and they really bought what they bought for the Schwinn name and they wanted to just get the Schwinn name and put it in Toys R Us and the Target stores and all that stuff and the big box side of it. So it was, uh, it was, it was apparent to us that it was going to, everybody was going to get laid off. And, and so I'm like, what am I going to do now? <laughs> it's like, all I've ever done really is, is, um, was be around bicycles, you know? But fortunately for me, I, I was a uh, really pretty good friends with Jeremy McGrath, um, through his entire 250 professional career. Um, we sponsored him with BMX bikes at GT and I hung around with him and I was always a fan of Supercross and, and watching what was going on. And, and then in the late nineties, I became friends with Jimmy Button and him and Jeremy were, were teammates at the time. And we sponsored Jeremy, um, Damon Hoffman, a lot of the, 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 um, the high profile riders of the nineties really. Yep. And, uh, and capitalized on, you know what, like, you know, riding a BMX bike and riding a mountain bike is good for motocross and supercross, you know? And we were the first company to do that. And, and I was at the forefront of doing that. And it was, that was, that actually transitioned me because when the thing happened at GT, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And, um, I had been riding, you know, motocross and just, just, you know, for fun around the, the local Southern California tracks. And, uh, Don Maeda who was the, uh, um, editor of Transworld Motocross. I had been riding with him a lot, just seeing him at the tracks and, and knowing him. And, and he's like, Hey, why don't you, uh, can you write? Can, can you do, can you do that? And I'm like, yeah, I, th I think so. And he's like, well, I might, I think I know product pretty well. He's like, why don't you do some product reviews and write some stuff for me and we'll see how it goes. And he wound up hiring me as an assistant editor of Transworld Motocross. when um, cause the, the magazine at the time was going from bi-monthly to monthly. That's right. And, um, and so I got hired at Transworld Motocross and, and was there from 2001, in December of 2001, 
through uh, April of 2003. And that was like, it was so, it was such an easy transition for me because I knew motocross. I knew some of the guys and being in the paddock and um, it was just, you know, it was, it was a second home for me. And I just learned how to, to deal with the, the motocross element of, of, um, of what dirt was. <laughs> and, uh, and the transition was cool for sure. On top of all of that, uh, like uh, you also spent one year at uh, at ESPN of all places doing TV commentator. Uh, I, I see this on your your LinkedIn profile, and I I got a, an eyebrow raised and some questions for you. What was it like uh, working with there? And what was the position? I I, I was uh, a little bit too young, and we don't get ESPN ESPN up here in Canada. Well, that was for um, uh, the X Games. Okay, uh, what I did there. And what it was, I was doing color commentary with another guy named Craig Reynolds. Okay. And um, the kind of the, the big the big jumps of what was happening at the time and these big gigantic BMX tracks that were being built. Um, ESPN wanted to bring them into the um, the X Games, and so um, me just being the mouth and talking and <laughs> knowing all the people, they actually asked me to be a part of um, the the TV commentary, and that was a really cool experience. Um, you know, the first one. Um, or the first two were back in Woodward, back in Pennsylvania. Right. And then the, the last year they had it was back out here, out at, at Tehachapi at Woodward West. Um, and um, I was actually a part of the color commentary for the, for the X Games for three years. So um, it didn't work for ESPN. I was a, I was a hired contractor. But to be able to uh, be the, the color commentary guy um, on ESPN for the X Games was pretty... <laughs> Pretty exciting for sure. No doubt. Now, uh, did did you go as uh, Eric Bartoldis or were, were you Biggie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Eric Biggie Bartoldis. There you that's, go. That's the way I went as, and, <laughs> and it was funny just going back to what this whole conversation is about. It's like I was talking about BMX racing. You know, it's like I can't. How much you know? How much more of a fun time can you get? And you know, I get paid for it. You know? Absolutely. That's exactly basically how I got into this in the first place. Uh, shoulder injury had me on the sidelines at a local race. Uh, they had all the, uh, the the start lists of riders and uh, a microphone set up and no one no one to talk. And uh, um, I, I took it upon myself to spend eight hours up in the announcing tower. They asked me if I wanted any money. I said no. I do. I talk about motocross anyway. Just put a microphone on my face and uh, it, it, everyone's happy. So uh, yeah, it's 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 beautiful when you can do something that uh, you're passionate about. That uh, uh, if if you do make money for it, it's just a plus. Uh, motocross is something that uh, we're all super passionate about, and uh, it, it and it, or BMX, anything like that. Uh, it's something that gets those juices flowing, and uh, like you said, it, it's not work. Yeah, exactly for sure. Um, so from there, uh, obviously you, you'd worked at, uh, at Transworld. What were some of the, uh, your, your best memories of working at Transworld, working with, uh, uh, with Swap? That guy is an absolute, uh, motocross mind. He's, I, I he's one of those iconic guys that I would love to have on the show at some point. Uh, what was it like working with, uh, with Maeda? Maeda, uh, he is a character for sure. He's definitely, um, there's, there's only one John Maeda for sure. He, uh, he really taught me, um, like you, you watching this guy and he could write a story about a race or a product or whatever it is in like 10 minutes. He'll just sit down and write it and be done. And they'll be, it'll be perfect. You know, I don't like, feel like, Oh, I need to add a comma here or whatever. But it's like, dude, how did you do that? It takes me like, I need to sit down and really think about what I'm going to write. And he's like, I don't, he just, he just did it, you know? 
Um, but you know, he grew up in the, in the sport as well with his brother Ross and been doing Enzo racing forever. And he was been around dirt bikes forever. And so, you know, working with him was just, a. I mean, he was obviously the boss of the magazine at the time and, um, and still is. And he's just, um, was one of those guys that's one in a million and that can, um, he just, he just lives, breathes and eats motocross. And I guess recently, you know, he's been involved in mountain biking and doing a lot of mountain biking. So that's kind of, you see a little bit more mountain bikes in the trans world motocross magazine. So it's kind of funny, but, um, but yeah, he's a super cool guy. And then, the other guy I worked with on staff there that was really cool and iconic and, and I learned from was uh, Garth Milan. And Garth's a, a, an unbelievable photographer. He shoots a lot of stuff. I mean, he's one of the Red Bull contracted photographers. When they go out and have an event, they hire him to shoot photography. And he's a super cool guy and, um, and, and, and was able to learn a lot from him as far as like just how he looks at photography. And he's also writing um, for the magazine as well at the time. And, and, when the website started to come online big time, he started to delight, do a lot of uh, website stuff. So I'd say Don and, and, and Garth were the big influences for me in, at the time at the magazine there for sure. So uh, obviously uh, yourself, not a, I wouldn't, uh, you're probably not a, a classically trained writer. Uh, and when you do so, you kind of put yourself out there. Uh, what were some of the highs and lows of people reacting to uh, your writing? And uh, uh, it must have been a pretty fun time for you. It was a fun time because, you know, like I would, uh, I would actually, um, you know, writing was, wasn't, the, um, it wasn't the, uh, it, it didn't come second nature to me, you know, like I had to work at it. Whereas a guy like Don Maeda, just like, he just sit at the keyboard and be done with something in 10 minutes, you know? So that was probably a big struggle for me to, to, to learn to sit down and to understand that, you know, what I'm writing about, what, what I'm critiquing or whether it's a product or whatever that, um, that has influence that has power over people, you know, and, uh, to, to understand, you know, in the media or uh, that you have power to influence people. It's pretty, it's a pretty crazy thing. And, you know, like I would, I would be traveling to races at the time and I, it would be crazy. Like I would be in, I don't know, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and people would be yelling. I'd, I'd be doing something. I'd hear somebody in the background, baby. And sure enough, it was somebody from BMX in the past that's there at the motocross race and they're like, Hey, what's going on? You know, like I would run into people all over the country that would recognize me and go, man, the power light days or GT or whatever. And Hey, you're working for trans world now. And it was such a, it made my transition a lot easier at the time too, because you know, I was around, you know, BMX and motocross. It, it's like, it's, it's joined at the hip, you know, and there's yeah. so many fans that follow motocross that, that were BMX racers or, fans of the time and and uh and it was just a really fun time so i would say that um just to answer your question it, it it's pretty going back it's pretty um crazy that to, to understand that the power of the pen or the keystroke has you can have so much influence over a product or people people buying something it was a it was a, um it was a pretty uh eye-opening experience for me i didn't realize that i would have that much power doing that stuff you know for sure. Now, um, through doing this, did you kind of start to get, gather a, a better idea of, of how to market to uh, the motocross public, or uh, even get a, a slightly better idea? Because, like I said, we are a tr we are a fickle bunch of tropical fish. We are, we are. But you know what? It was uh, it was so interesting to me because the motocross crowd was. I mean, it's it's so um, lined up with the BMX crowd. I mean. 
I think a lot of the old motocross guys are obviously grew up maybe racing BMX and they, that the, the, the way to market, you know, whether it's motocross or BMX was like a lot of the same things you did, you know? And so, um, I didn't, I don't think it was a, a big gigantic transition for me there, but one of the things I did, um, learn a lot more about is being on the other side, you know, when I was at GT and Powerlight, I would always try to influence and talk to the editors of the magazines and try to, you know, get our product in a better light. And so then I'm at the magazine in the motocross um, capacity and, and I'm learning how to, um, these guys are coming to me from, from companies. They're going, Hey, this is what our product does. And I'm like, I was there, I was doing that, you know? So I got to really um, use or see both sides of the fence on that type of thing, working at a trans world. Enough. Um, so from trans world, uh, came a, a position where, uh, you, uh, not only, uh, something that you'd probably be pretty familiar with is, uh, like answer, uh, motocross gear. And, uh, a quick story about my experience with answer motocross gear on the way out to my very first riding clinic, uh, back in the year 1999, dad, uh, presented me with my own pair of red team Two answer gear and i was over the moon <laughs> that's awesome yeah man um yeah so i guess to continue on the progression in um in uh, 2003 april 2003 um, there was a there was a an opening at answer and pro taper they were they were one in the same company at the time chuck Araki, big distribution outlet here in the united states was owns them yeah and uh, they were looking for a guy to uh, basically head the brand up, and 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 they saw. You know, it was crazy. I sat at Tuckeraki, and I sat in a room full of probably ten people, and they're they're like, "Hey, um, what do you think we need to do with these brands?" And I said, "Honestly, you need to start over. You need to. There there's not a lot of life breathing into them. This was in 2003, and I'm like, you need to. I, I just I basically said stuff that I'm like, there's no way they're going to hire me. There's no way." And then I got the caller like, yeah, we'd like you to, to do this job. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is awesome. So again, I, I felt, I went back into like, you know, the manufacturing side of things. And with Pro Taper, there was an element of a lot of things I knew about is metals and how they work and, and manufacturing. And uh, on the answer side, I'm like, you know what? This is an iconic, unbelievable brand that just needs life breathed into it, you know? And so we came up with a new, uh, an ID, you know, uh, uh, a logo for the brand. We hired Ernesto Fonseca to be our kind of our, our lead guy, our factory Honda guy, which is a big, big leap for answer at the time because uh, we weren't, yeah, they, yeah they, we weren't doing anything. You know, we had Mad Mike Jones. That was our big, big, uh, big writer at the time. And it's like, That's man, right. what's answer doing with freestyle? Like, we're a racing company, you know? So um, we hired Ernesto and, and we just, we, kind of turned the brand around and, and, and probably about 18 months sales started really picking up and it was really exciting to see that at the time uh, I was doing the same thing on pro taper uh, where we we're like you know what we need to rental was obviously obviously the big dog to go after is like hey these guys are doing this right so you know I'm like you know what pro taper is not just a handlebar it's a brand you know and so we took the 7 8 handlebar we took and we, we remanufactured that we took we made a whole bunch of new grips. We invented the pillow top grip. There's so many things that I was able to touch and put my hands on as far as packaging and logos and all that stuff at Answer and Pro Taper that it was just, it was an amazing time. And I was there for six years, I think. 
until um, uh, January 1st, 2008 was my last day there. And, uh, man, in the time I was there from 03 to 08 was just like, it was so cool to be able to not only on the soft good side, make some really cool stuff and, and make waves and do things on the answer uh, soft good side, but the same thing on the pro taper side. It's like, man, we made, I think at the time, Renthal stand up and go, holy cow, we this sleeping giant here, you know? Totally. So those were, yeah. There wasn't anyone that would, would, uh, like, well, pro taper first came in in about what? 1994 ish. As far uh, as the making... first pro taper, uh, well, answer made alumalite bars back in the eighties. So they okay. made chromoly bars in the seventies. That's one of the things that answer first came out with was chromoly handlebars. Right. In 1990, 1990 or 1991 is when the pro taper handlebar, the oversized handlebar came out and they, um, it came out and like, I think the first guy to ride it was Daniel Bradshaw and people are like, you can't ride a motorcycle without a crossbar, you know? And, uh, and so they, they obviously the bar got refined through the years and the clamps and all that stuff that, that made it the bar it is today. But, um, yeah, that's when it first debuted the pro taper handlebar was an answer handlebar called pro taper. Okay. And then again, again, eventually pro taper evolved into being its own brand, you know, because it, it made so many cool products, you know? Absolutely, and I, but even like I was just saying, uh, it was a brand that a lot of core racers were uh, reluctant to go to. Like it was uh, kind of like uh, it was the freestyle bar. That's the the Travis Pastrana bar. Like we don't, you, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go over to that side because that's not for racing sort of thing. And uh, and. It, more and more and more, you see, see guys uh, gravitating to the bar, and uh, basically, what I think what, what kicked it off or kicked it over the biggest is when uh, a guy like Ricky Carmichael started using that handlebar throughout the, the tail end of his uh, career on Suzuki's. Dude, that was a gigantic, gigantic uh, monument for us because Ricky grew up on rental handlebars his whole life, yeah. right? And he switches off Honda and he gets on Suzuki and Suzuki, the guys at Suzuki at the time were just going, Hey Biggie, we need to make sure that Ricky's comfortable. We need to make sure, you know, we have the right bends for him. So like, we were just, we were like making, like there was a, there there was a time when they're like, there could be Renthal could be a sponsor of Suzuki at the time. And, um, we're like, we're not, we're not going to let that happen. So Ricky, you know, the, the feel of the pro taper handlebar was so gigantically different than a twin wall rental and uh to have him use that handlebar and to be comfortable on it was just it was a it was a, a milestone in my career because i was a part of like having one of the greatest motocross racers of all time use our product and be happy with it and you know when he had a whole bunch of you know when he had get-offs whether it be at southwick or at high point or whatever and he would get up and his handlebars weren't bent was like Dude, you can get up and finish a race. That was that was a testimony to what our product was about, you know. So that was a. It's funny you mentioned that. That was a big, big part of man. Like, like that was a notch in my belt. Going, you know what? I had a, a part of the transition of the greatest motorcycle racer, greatest motocross racer of all time, going from a brand that he just, you know, didn't have to worry about. He rides a nine nine seven or whatever the bend was that he used all throughout his career. And then starts using a different product and is totally pumped with it. That was and and look at all the winning he did on Suzuki as well. You know that was that was so huge for me to be a part of. 
Totally. Be the last uh, two-stroke, uh, 250 two-stroke to, to win a, a Supercross championship. Uh, do it in style. And uh, yeah, like I remember the first year that he was on the bike, uh, there was an ad that came out between him, Nate Adams, and and Twitch, and uh, he could like he's like I've had a lot of bars in my day, like the, like nothing feels better than my pro tapers, and that those words right there must have just launched the brand. Uh, it, it, I don't know about launching the brand, but it definitely, again, I think it made those guys at Rental stand up and go, Hey, wait, we, we, what are we doing here? You know, like um, we had the great, we lost one of the one of the the best riders from the sport to our competitor and he's happy with the product so it was it was huge man and those are times where they're like again we were changing a lot of things at pro taper and we're like okay this is working man we're doing a lot of things right and sales were just going through the roof and obviously that was back in the in the mid-2000s when money was free you know but uh but you know you mentioned he was the last two stroke um to win championship and but you know, it's funny. He was the first four-stroke to win this championship on, on for Supercross. Yeah, that's true. Too. So, I mean, yeah. it was a, it was a time when Pro Taper was just with the right team and the right guy. You know. Yeah, actually, I've never really thought about that. That uh, on the Suzuki would have been the first guy to win uh, the championship on a on a yeah, four-stroke. Yeah, wow, that, that's four-stroke. Four you know, uh, <laughs> Supercross championship. It was Ricky. Yep. Yeah. In uh, that's two thousand. Was it five or six? I can't remember. I think uh, it was five, six, because he would have he would have ridden the the Suzuki two fifty two stroke in right, five. Right. I'm actually That's looking right. at a yep. picture of him uh, at the uh, the team shootout, or like I guess the team introduction yep. right yep. there. Uh, what, what kind of like uh, how many different bar bends did he go through? Do you know of that until uh, the kid finally got comfortable? Um, it wasn't that many. Uh, you know, we probably did about two or three different ones. And he settled on one yeah. that he started with at the beginning, um, but it was just mm-hmm. a, a um, just trying to make sure he's comfortable, you know, because he was going through um, so many changes, going from that Honda to the Suzuki. It was a gigantic change for him, you know. And he could have said easily, just like I want rental handlebars to be a part of this thing because it's it's something that I grew up on, and I and I don't one thing I don't need to change is my handlebars, right? But he did, and uh, yeah. it was huge. I mean, it was big for our brand and the people that are associated with our brand to make him happy. And at the end, I mean, at, not at the end, but when we got everything dialed, he, I mean, those guys were using off the shelf product. And again, that's a testimony to, to what, what we were making, you know? And and that's the, 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 the goal of, of any company is that the fact that they'll be able to uh, put something out there that, um, like on the on the shelves that you could also find on the racetrack. Uh, that that's something that uh, tire brands are always fighting against. The fact that um, they they spent all this money and time uh, sponsoring race teams that for the most part run a tire that you really can't buy. Uh, and and most of the buying public knows that it's it's it is pretty cool to know that uh, the the bar that uh, is on on the bike on the track is something that you can put on your bike and you're going to get the exact same feedback or similar feedback that uh, the racers are getting. Exactly. Yep. Hit the nail on the head. There we go. Now, um how how did uh, your your separation from uh, from answer and uh, and pro taper go as far as uh, moving on to to bigger and better things? Well, then uh, um, actually, um, let's see how I can put this. The guy that um, that actually got me the interview um, mm-hmm. to work for Answer was Eddie Cole, which is the, the guy that started Answer and Pro Taper in the seventies. Right. 
he was working as a consultant at Tucker Rocky um, to try to help turn the brand around. He's like, hey, I think this is your guy. So I interviewed with him, and he went to them and said, hey, and I got the interview or the answer, and, and ultimately they hired me. Well, um, in 2000, at the end of 2007, Eddie Cole was coming to me um, and saying, um, you know what, I need somebody to direct Sunline and 661 on the moto side, and then you're the perfect guy, and I'd love to have you. Um, and, um, at the time, um, I was, uh, working with Ryan Gungy at answer. And, uh, that was, that's a really cool story. Actually, we didn't talk about, um, taking okay. Ryan from, from the answer, you know, um, Ryan was, uh, uh, an up and coming amateur guy and, um, and riding a Suzuki, um, and, and the B class. And, uh, he was one of our amateur riders that, uh, our, um, one of our in-house person, Kristen was working with and, um, just this kid from Minnesota was just like rocking it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, she's like, this kid's really good. And I would go out with, um, go out with him and watch him ride. And like his turn speed was just amazing. I'm like, I watched him go through turns. and didn't look like he slowed down. And, um, so, um, he, he was just an up and coming amateur star and I just saw so much potential in him. Um, we actually were, cause I knew Roger DeCosta very well. And, uh, he was, he was just on the beat. B squad with Paul Gress and those guys at Suzuki. I'm like, Hey Roger, you've got to watch this kid ride. He's, he's seriously amazing. And, uh, it was at the time, I think it was transitioning from supercross to outdoor in, in May of that year. And Brock, um, 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 uh, Brock was the guy that was on Suzuki at the time, uh, was hurt and, uh, he got, he was able Kepler. to ride. Yeah, exactly. Brock yeah. Kepler. Um, he he rode Brock Kepler's bike. We went out to Glen Helen, and he was super nervous that day. It was so funny. He didn't even eat. Yeah. And uh, he showed up, and he barely moved the levers on Brock's bike. And uh, Ricky was out there that day, and they were testing for, for outdoors. And, okay. uh, and, um, and, and Troy Dungy will attest to all this stuff because he was there and watching it all happen. And uh, so we went out there, and he's out there, and he's like, okay, you know, go take some laps. And he gets on this bike, and he barely moves the levers. And... Uh, he goes out there for like 30 minutes. Like, everybody's like, dude, you shouldn't get like, so you're going to take a couple laps to come in, you know, and do some more adjustments on the bike. And, uh, at, at the time, I think he ran, uh, um, Ricky was actually running him down. And when Ricky came up on him, like Ryan didn't give him an inch. He like, he ran him off the track, dude. It was so funny. And That's Roger, I, was, I remember Roger was up in the, like one of the bleachers going, man, I can't believe his turn speed. He's seriously so fast on the bike that he just got on. He's not even used to, you know? So that took off from there to where he got, um, that, that summer was his first ride, um, at Millville. And, uh, yeah. he, he got overall seventh of that race and it was really muddy that day. And, Holy uh, crap, and that, that was the start of his career. And people are like, you can't take a guy out of the B class and put him on a factory team. And they did, and Roger took a chance on him, and that's what happened. <laughs> that's the story. It turned out all right. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And so, on the answer side, that was a really fun. That was, I, I think, the highlight of my my part. It answer is to see somebody come from the amateur ranks, um, and to be the the pro that he and he and I was there when he first won his first Supercross race. Uh, it was in Atlanta that year, and it was just like it was so cool, man. It was such a cool thing to be a part of. Definitely, Ryan Dungey, a rider who um, slightly overshadowed by uh, some of the riders like um, 
Bill Poto, who have kind of put him in his place at certain times, but always consistent, always battling, and uh, heart of a champion. Uh, one of those guys that uh, it'd be an aspiring interview for me one day, but uh, really cool to hear uh, the story of how he kind of like got got to that next level because it, it's always been kind of a mystery of how this guy this kid caught the eye of uh, of, of DeCoster and as well as and I'm sure Ricky Carmichael must have had his uh, his head turned on that day as well because then they would end up working together. Well, yeah, it's bit. like, hey, Roger, who's this guy you're letting on the track? I got you know they're trying to whatever they're doing suspension testing yeah. or whatever that day, you know. And uh, yeah, so that's how that whole thing happened, man. It was uh it was one of those things where like, oh my gosh, so they. They scheduled more testing stuff, and they're like, you know what? Roger's like, I'm going to sign this guy, you know, wow, to a to a, a a small a small contract to to make him prove himself, but but to let him prove himself, you know, and and that was just words to like Ryan was like, that's what I'm all about, man. Like, I, all I want to do is be the best pro that the sport's ever seen. He always said that, and uh, and now look at him, you know, he's just he's doing exactly what he dreamed of, you know. It's yeah, it is incredible to see someone like, especially like, have a lofty goal like that to say, "I want to be the best at something." And uh, later down the road, like doing exactly that, and uh, just one week away from uh, from entering uh, yet another Supercross Championship, where uh, he'll be carrying the number one plate and uh, looking uh, pretty confident coming in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's just really cool because I, I just. I hear them. I, I still hear him saying those words when he was 15 years old. Going, I just want to be the best, best, best I can be in the sport. That's all I want to be. That's wild. And he would just, he'd be doing sit-ups and push-ups. I mean, his, um, his, his just his whole goal was to be. He didn't have any distractions. You know, he didn't get caught up in some of the stuff that the, the teenagers get caught up in. He's just like, all I want to do is be the best. I don't care. I want to be the best. Absolutely. And obviously you can see that in him today, you know? Yeah, it's it's totally one of those things where like you, you kinda you see Ryan Dungey and like almost you can almost see the, the gears turning in his head that like he assesses everything in his life and like someone like say would bring something to him and like he looks at it like, Is that gonna make me better? Uh no, okay, I won't do that. Uh is that gonna make me better? Yeah, it yeah. is. Okay, we're gonna do that. Um but yep. totally filtering out what needs to happen and uh, of course like you gotta have fun with the sport. The sport is impossible to do without having any fun. Um as far as riding the bike and, and all the that fun stuff um but uh the kid is all business and uh he's he's made a he, he's done exactly what he set out to do yeah well he's not done not nearly <laughs> we'll no. see what happens this year um so where did uh like obviously you went on to to 661 and, and sunline which was a, a brand that uh gained a lot of uh exposure and uh a lot of uh attraction within the 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 industry uh, throughout the years that you were working with them. Uh, what do you attribute that to? What kind of things did you bring from your experiences with the brands previous to uh, 661, which uh, predominantly was uh, was mountain bike and BMX? Yeah, well, Matt, it was funny you, you say that Eddie did start the company um, really on, on making pads uh, yeah, for mountain bike. I knew it is. And uh, it transitioned into making, like, like a lot of the freestyle guys started using a lot of 661 products. And then transition into motocross, obviously, and uh, the motocross side of things just needed attention. So when I went there, um, that was my goal to to make six six one a protection company. That's what we were about. And the thing on the Sunline side, we we're a hard parts 
that made um, some of the best levers and some some really great hard parts. So um, that's what it, it, it was. It was funny because on the protection side, it's exactly what I was doing. Not exactly, but very parallel to what I was doing at Answer and Pro Taper, where Answer was a, uh, a soft goods company that that made apparel, and then Pro Taper was the hard parts side of it. And so when I went to Six Six One, the Valencia Sport Group was the name of the company. Right. I was doing the same thing for Six Six One, and Sunline is is kind of doing the same thing. And uh, um, it was a, it was an amazing time for me to be there. I was there for about a year and almost two years. Um, and, uh, there was a lot of transition. Eddie, Eddie Cole had, um, um, sold a portion of the company, I think, to, to build capital, to bring some, some, um, some more people in and to bring, buy some more product. And in the process of doing that, he involved a, a, a company that, um, that bought one industries and, um, that company made, um, at the time made a lot of, um, about a year when, and that's when the economy started going cockeyed too. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, through 08, we did really well and, uh, we were performing really well. Um, I would say, um, in 2009 as well, but we had some leadership that was kind of ripped, uh, Eddie's hands off the steering wheel and, uh, made some wrong decisions and ultimately wound up, um, people were just getting laid off left and right. And that was one of the, the first or second round of layoffs. Uh, at 661 um and ultimately the company went from i think we had 42 people at the time and then went down to one person that was traveling back and forth to one industry at san diego um because that's where they moved all of the companies into that that building so but yeah it was it was uh it was a fun time and, and i learned so much again from from eddie cole he was a uh an unbelievable mentor at the time the guy that raced for factory kawasaki back in the mid 70s yeah and um and just was around motocross and business his whole life so i learned a lot about business from eddie and how to how to uh do it and how to not do it and he, he was such a an unbelievable guy one of the things that stands out for me um being a part of um Valencia sport group is we were we were closing actually i think we were closed it was probably after five o'clock in the and nobody was around and somebody comes in the lobby and goes yeah i, I came to get my helmet i'm racing this weekend and uh, and I'm like, I'm watching this guy go, okay, hold on. Here's the president of the company. And he's like, hold on. And he goes in the back of the warehouse and he gets what the guy needs. And he's like, oh, we'll handle all the paperwork there every Monday. And I'm like, that's so awesome. You know, like the guy's totally like, the guy got caught up on the freeway and he was late to getting there to pick up his product. Yeah. And then he just goes out in the back and gets it. And he goes, oh, we'll square it up, whatever. We'll figure it out on Monday. Just go race and have fun. Wow. That's... And I was like, man, there's was like, I just like, that's the kind of leader I want to be that goes, you know what? I'm not too small or too big for that, that guy that comes in and get, that's what we're, the company's about, you know? And, uh, I guess to bring it full circle, you know, like uh, that's, what's cool about Yoshimura. Yoshimura is that kind of company to where we want to go the extra mile to make sure that that guy that's using our product, um, is totally stoked and happy about what he's using, you know? So uh, again, I've been, I've led this charmed life. I think that I've been able to be at the right place at the right time. And these, at these companies to, to make a mark and to, to do something that, um, that I was like called to be there at the time to do, you know? 
Absolutely, and it's uh, it's amazing to, to take that much pride in your work and, and see uh, and see things continuously uh, building, and uh, and that kind of brings me to my one of my final questions for you is uh, um, what's next for Big E, and uh, what's next for uh, Yoshimira as a brand as you as you move forward? I guess there are some certain things you can't talk about, but uh, what can you talk about? Uh, well, we're we're work, we're always constantly developing a new product, you know. Um, the RS4 and the RS9 are two motocross systems that you guys, your probably listeners, are most familiar with. And um, we'll constantly be evolving that stuff. You're going to see some new stuff in the future for sure. We're not going to sit on our laurels and go, oh, this is the best we can make. No, we can make stuff better for sure. And um, I think um, Yoshimura, I mean, I th- I mean, if I was a consumer now, knowing what I know, I would, I would buy a Yoshimura product um, for sure. Um, some of the things that obviously that were for 16, you know, we're, we're going to some, maybe some close to your neck of the woods is, um, the GDR Honda team. That's a team that, um, we're going to continue our relationship with in yeah. 2016, working with, uh, Derek and Colt and Jeremy of that team has been, uh, an unbelievable experience. I mean, it's like, they're like, if you want to, um, and I'm not just blowing wind up anybody's skirt here. This is the, this is the <laughs> truth. Like these guys are the, like the true professionals, like, they came to us and they needed an exhaust sponsor and we're like, okay, let's do this. And it's been like, it's like been one of those kids you don't worry about. There's no maintenance. It's like, here's your product. And they take it and they go and use it and they use it the right way. And they represent our brand the right way. And it's perfect. It's like the perfect relationship with, uh, the GDR guys. Derek is, is heads up. That team is, is, um, is super, the, just the right guy to work with. I can't say enough about him and, and the stuff he's been able to do with Colton the watch and so we'll be a part of that in 2016 as well as uh, did I lose you obviously being running our running our own race team you know the the factory uh, Suzuki race team and being a part of RCH and Ken Rockson and Rock Tickle um the American Honda team with uh, Trey Kennard and, and Cole Sealy will be a part of that uh, again and, uh, and of course the the Geico Honda team that the um the 250 team that is just um really I mean, since 2000, I think, and 10, when we started to be on that team, it's just been a, it's been a great team, a great, great team to be a part of. And so that's, that's kind of our big, big roster for this year. And, um, we're looking forward to, I mean, obviously seeing what, what Supercross holds. It's going to be, it's going to be, an, I, I don't even know what to expect, man. And he you was know, like, I'd like to pick a winner, but it's like, man, you don't even know what's going to happen, you know? No, that, like there's at this point there's way too many heavy hitters. Um, I'm pretty sure if you if you list them all right now, there's not a single factor. There's not a single guy that would be in the main event this next weekend that like that you couldn't say that has factory backing support at some level um and going back all the way to the top 15 like uh, there's there's a high like high likeliness that you'll have a guy like marvin Muscan somewhere between 8 and 12th next weekend yeah yeah like I, totally I mean, it's doable thing. it's like there's probably 10 guys uh, at least 10 guys that could win anaheim one and i'll say that there's probably about there's probably five guys that could win the championship easily easily you know? yeah like, Which, I, I, I mean, would... they say that every year, but I think seriously, like you look at it, everybody's healthy, like Tomac and Roxon and Dungey and, and Stewart's going to be back. It's like it, it, anything can happen. Totally. Like even like I, I um, compare it to the year where uh, 
Dungey ended up winning his very first title. Most wouldn't have expected that, even even given the fact that he had come off of an extremely successful 250F season the prior year in 2009, rolling it in 2010. Like, saying he was going to win that Supercross title isn't that much different than saying uh, Trey Kennard or Jason Anderson or Marvin Muskan will win that championship because those guys are just as dominant. Yeah. So somebody, one of those guys could light a fire and just start going on a streak and, and get confidence. And, uh, you know, like you said, like a guy like Jason Anderson, they're, they're on good machines. There's not, it's proven that they could win races on that stuff. So, Man, it's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm, I am so looking forward to this year's season. I just, and, and you, probably a lot of your guests and everybody says it. I mean, I just hope everybody stays healthy so yes. we can see that, you know? Totally. Just, just want to see, uh, just want to see all those guys up front, which does make fantasy motocross pretty difficult, not knowing, uh, where those guys are going to shuffle in, but that's, uh, half the fun of it. Um, before I let you go, a couple of questions. Who was the first one that called you Big E? <laughs> um that quite that's an easy question um i was actually we were doing like i was telling you about before it was probably 1986 and um a, a friend of mine uh his name's todd corbett we were driving across the country and uh and uh he just started calling me that and it just stuck and everybody it's like so many people through the industry know me as Big E more than anything so i just keep using it because that's what they know me as so it's uh it's one of those things i'm like just don't call me late for dinner Perfect. So, uh, and like, is, is there anyone in your day to day life that calls you Eric? My wife. Your wife. Okay, fair That's enough. It. Just my wife. <laughs> oh, maybe only calls you uh, Biggie in select moments. Uh, yeah, she doesn't use that moniker. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when was the first time that you realized that you could turn a, th- a three backwards and uh, and and use that on your on your on your your motocross bikes? Um, that goes back to the guy that started calling me Big E. He okay. was, uh, Todd Corbett. He was national number three one year. And, uh, he started running his three backwards because we started this thing called the E-Team, which was basically, um, it's the straight edge thing where we didn't, we tried to lead kids in the positive light not to drink or these drugs. So we called it the edge, the E-Team, right? Okay. So he turned his three backwards because he was national number three that year. And I'm like, man, this is so cool. And he got called out for it. He's like, you have to run your three the right way. So when I was able to run a number or whatever, I just, I turned my three backwards. It's kind of like just Big E. It just worked and people didn't get it. <laughs> people still don't get it. You see, like a lot of the posts on my two struck online, people are like, who's the dyslexic guy that's putting his numbers on it? It's like, it's not a number, it's a letter. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, that, that brings me to my, the last thing I wanted to talk about, which of course is something that you probably love to talk about is that two stroke that, uh, is <laughs> now my number one, most, most liked post on Instagram. Uh, if you want to follow, uh, the, the fifth letter E on, uh, on Instagram, you'll find many pictures of this beautiful Honda. How did you put this thing together? Absolutely gorgeous machine. One thousand eighty-one likes on my account. Well, it's the highest on my account too, and some of the uh, some other people that reposted it as well. I just, you know, like, um, you know, Yoshimura is a, a uh, again going back to my company I work for. They're a four-stroke yes. company. That's all they do is four-stroke stuff. So, um, I like four-strokes. They're fun, but man, there's something magical about a two-stroke. So. Uh, when I wanted to get a, another dirt bike, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a 2003 CR250 
and I'm gonna I just want to fix it up, you know. So I went on Craigslist. I got I found this bike and I bought it for like two grand, and I just started you know massaging it and working on it. And I'm like, man, how cool would it be to be a to build a a, a two stroke Yoshimura works bike? And uh, and the guy in the back actually um, one of our I tell you he's our top fabricator. His name's Randy Blevin, and Randy built a lot of the works factory pipes for Honda back in the day. Um, he built a lot of tooling pipes for some of the obviously the top brands in the sport that are selling two-stroke pipes nowadays. And he knows his way on a two-stroke, like the back of his hand. And so I asked him, I'm like, hey, would you build me a pipe? And he's like, oh, not only am I going to build you a pipe, you're going to help me build it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, no, let's come to my shop and we'll build it. And so uh, Yoshimura really didn't want to have anything to do with it because they just don't want something like that out there. So I'm like, okay, cool. So we'll build it. And so we built it on the spare time and, and Randy has a side shop that does, uh, does the work. And we went to this metal, metal shop just to, just to go back to the pipe. Cause I know a lot of the people that are looking at that post, looking at the pipe going, ah, oh. so we go to this shop, this metal shop and buy this, I don't know what gauge it was, mild steel, carbon steel. Yeah. And we spent, I think that day, I think we spent, I think it was 15 bucks on the materials. Mm. I'm like, you're kidding me. Like you're going to turn this into a works pipe. He's like, absolutely. And so he had the pattern because he, he knows, you know, he had the pattern to, to make the cones because he knows what's going to make the CR250 run the best. I went to him. I said, look, here's what I want. I want to run pump gas. And I want the, I, these CRs are notorious for not having any bottom end. So I'm like, can you make my bike run like I want it to? And he's like, absolutely. So he takes this pattern and he makes the, buys this flat steel. And in the course of about 14 hours, because he hasn't built, he didn't build one for about seven years up to that point, because he's been working at Yoshimura and, and doing four-stroke stuff. So yeah. 14 hours later, he, we, he molds and shapes this piece of flat steel into this works pipe. He's putting a ring on, then he pounds it out, puts another ring on, pounds it out. And he's cutting this thing with a bandsaw. And I'm like, like, it's like, he's not even hardly measuring stuff. He's like, it's, I'm watching him like a true fabricator in every sense of the word that's why and um and i'm just like and, and then as he's pounding the pipe out it's taking a different shape it's bending and molding and it's like it's like clay in his hands dude it's it was unbelievable to watch and so vital nx when i got the bike done i'm like hey would you guys do a thing on this and they're like absolutely man and so the guy that rode the bike was uh johnny Geldera, and he was uh he's i think he's riding for motocross action now as a test rider yeah, he, he was doing the Supercross bike. last year, and now he's he's uh, yeah. he's at MXA. Yep, exactly. And so Johnny rode the bike, and uh, he I rode my we were out of Paris that day, and I, I show up, and he shows up, and it's like, dude, this is a bike I'm riding because um, Michael Lindsay at Vital was telling him like, yeah, we want you to ride this two stroke, and just we're just gonna do a video on it, and just kind of kind of do a fun thing with it, you know. And he rode it, and he's like, dude, I've never ever ridden a two stroke with that much bottom, like you can lug it out of turns like a four stroke. And he did some stuff with the silencer too, to make it do that. But, uh, it was so cool. Like a guy that, you know, he grew up, um, I racing two strokes and, and, um, and yeah. obviously as he turned into a, a younger man racing, racing four strokes. But, um, um, ironically, Johnny was, um, going, just going back to this whole story of how it's such a small sandbox we work in. Yeah. John used to face Blake Baggett. He was on that same level. And so Randy, Randy, the guy that built my pipe, 
was always building product for um, Blake Daggett on a Cobra. And as he was growing up, he would be, be building Blake's motors and, and pipes for him. Okay. So he knew Johnny when, when we came out to do this, this test, so to speak, he knew Johnny from being the, the, the nemesis or whatever for Blake Daggett. He's like, Oh no way. That's who's riding your bike. So, um, but anyway, yeah, so it was, it was a labor of love. And so that bike and that pipe, um, I only put the pipe on on special occasions when I go out and ride it. Um, cause I, I have a, um, an OE pipe that I use for just when I go out and just tool around. Why not? Yeah, so, for sure. But, uh, cause I don't want anything to happen to that pipe. I'm like, man, if that thing dents, I'm going to be crying, you know? But, uh, yeah, so that's the story of that pipe. Randy Blevins, um, built that thing for me. And, um, he has his own side job, the side shop that he does that stuff on the weekends and, and nights and he builds TT 500 pipes and, um, just a, just a super skilled fabricator that, uh, I'm just so, um, thankful to call him my friend and he's a great guy. And, and that pipe is just as cool as it looks. It works even better. <laughs> That's all I can say about that thing. Well, uh, since he was so nice to, uh, to build that pipe for you, do, do you want to, uh, like, um, throw out his information out a little bit? So if anyone in the, uh, in Orange County is looking for a pipe to get done, maybe, uh, throw him some business. Well, you know, it's funny about that is he, um, people from all over the world call him, um, oh, and, and have him make pipes for him. So when he's done it, it's at, 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 um, at Yoshimura, he goes over to his side job and, uh, he has another apprentice there that he's kind of schooling and learning, teaching how to make stuff. Um, he makes stuff, uh, whether it's two stroke or four stroke that people call him up. Um, I'm going to have to give you his number. I don't have it handy. Fair but um, maybe you can add it in the show later, but um, I'll give it to you later. Um, and and uh, he'd be stoked to, uh, after that vital, vital piece called him, a vital piece came out. He got so many calls for two stroke pipes um, and his labor obviously isn't cheap. So I think he made a couple after that, that article came out last year. Yeah. Um, but um, he, um, he's the guy, he knows the stuff in and out around two stroke stuff and, and four stroke as well. So I'll give you his number and you can add it in, um, at the end. For sure. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll include it on the link, uh, on the website to, uh, to anyone who's uh, wanting to check that out. That's super awesome, man. Uh, Eric, it's been an absolute pleasure, uh, and an hour and 27 minutes of pure gold. Um, I really appreciate you coming on to, uh, to chat all things two wheels. Just as I said, a couple of days ago, it was going to be our topic conversation was, uh, you and your life in the sport of motocross and BMX and, um, like, it's it's been a pleasure, my friend. Brad, it's been a pleasure to be a big on to be on Big MX Radio, and I really appreciate you having me on. And just um, just a, it's it's funny, like we, we the way we talk, it's like we don't even know each other, but we do. No. You know, oh, for so sure. It's a, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you, and I really appreciate you having me on, and just uh, just to talk about my life and and about the passions I'm I'm into, and. And, uh, yeah, I just, I really appreciate being on your show and I appreciate uh, the sponsors of your show. And one of the things, again, just going back to one of the things I learned at, at through my career is that, you know, we, um, play in a very small sandbox called motorcycles and, uh, to, the sponsors that are a part of your show and to be, you know, being some of the competitor of, of those sponsors, it's like, you know what, we're in a small sandbox and, and we all support each other. And, and I appreciate, again, you having me on, I appreciate the sponsors of your show and, just the passion that you have for our industry, my friend. Well, I appreciate you. And, uh, and if, if you'll ever come back on the show, we'd love to have you on to, uh, discuss, uh, supercross motocross and, uh, and, uh, you name it. Anytime, my friend.
Awesome. Well, uh, don't hang up just yet, but uh, for podcast sake, we'll break it off right there. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.